Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet. Glad to have you here with us once again. And tonight I have with me a, a guy who I just met recently and uh, actually went on his uh, podcast that he's getting going. And when we were talking at the end, we're like, you know, I, I should your story, you should definitely come on mine. So we're 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 switching things up and I get to turn the tables on someone who already got the chance to interview me, which I always appreciate. And his name is John Kovaleski, and John's got quite the story, and we're going to dive into some topics tonight that I'm just really excited to bring, because I think it's something that a lot of guys out there are dealing with that we haven't talked about too much on the show. So without further ado, John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Gourmet, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, this is like our second time talking in a week. So, you know, I feel like now we're getting, you know, we're, we're becoming old friends before we've ever met face to face, but uh, <laughs> absolutely, I'm, I'm excited to dive into this tonight. So let's get it going, man. Tell us what qualifies you to be on the fat guy forum. Well, um, first and foremost, I was a fat guy. <laughs> um, lo- okay. Let, let's go back a little bit back in 2007. Um, I was working as a mechanic, pretty much ate whatever I wanted to eat. I drank gallons of Mountain Dew a day and, and I pretty much just didn't care about, you know, what I was putting in my body. And I was at work one day and I had literally like just got back from eating lunch, which my lunch that day happened to have been an entire pizza. Um, it was an entire pizza, a Big Mac, two large orders of fries and a large vanilla milkshake. Okay. That was my lunch. So I get back to work and I was actually doing an alignment on a car. And for those of you who don't know, when you're doing alignment work on a car, you actually have to roll underneath of this rack that is leveled onto the ground. So everything can be straight. So you can set alignment angles. Um, So a half an hour goes by and my boss comes back looking for me because he's like, John's normally pretty quick at this. Um, there I was completely unconscious and I got rushed to the hospital. I wake up several hours later with my wife and my kids standing over me crying. And I've got a doctor who looks at me and says, look, it's time for a reality check. You weigh 405 pounds. You are at the very least a top type two diabetic, if not a type one. And if you continue the path that you're going down now, you'll be dead in a year. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was like a huge wake up call. And, and I looked at the doctor and I'm like, okay, well, you don't have to tell me twice. Um, so immediately the next day, it's like, I, I made an appointment to go see a local doctor and, and started the process rolling. So now I am currently, I'm 254 pounds, um, which that weight is up a little bit from some situations that happened last year, which we'll get into later. Um, but just, I gained weight last year and just since January 22nd of this year, I've already lost 34 pounds of that weight. So I I know what it's like to be extremely heavy. I know what it's like to suffer with the pains in the back and the legs and, and, you know, all those things, um, neuropathy that sets in things of that nature. Um, I've been through it all. And you definitely have men. And and I want to get into like, so one of the things we haven't really talked about yet was, so you, 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 you kind of peaked at 405 pounds in 2007 when that happened. Like, 
Yes. How would your weight gotten to that point? Like, was it something where you always just a big guy? Did you grow up as a big kid? Like, where where did that all start for you? Oh yeah, I mean, I was I I was twelve years old and I was wearing my dad's clothes. Now, mind you, I'm six foot. Uh, well, at my at my peak, let's say, because I'm older, we all know I'm shrinking. <laughs> uh, but I was uh, at my at my tallest. I was six foot three, but I was five foot seven at twelve years old and wearing my father's clothes. Um, so, I mean, I had always been a big kid. I, it, when I was younger, a teenager and, you know, like early twenties, I didn't have a lot of problems. I ate whatever I wanted and I really didn't seem to gain a whole lot of weight. But, um, after I hit like my late twenties, early thirties, uh, the weight started packing on and I didn't even realize it because I didn't change anything that I was doing. I still ate, you know, the way I wanted to eat and, and I ate, I ate crap. There's no doubt about it. You know, I eat the pizzas and lots of fast food and um, I, I'm a big chip guy. I mean, I can sit down with uh, two family sized bags of Lay's potato chips and they're gone in an hour. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely have my vices. So it was like, I really wasn't paying attention. I, I had the mindset of, you know, it's, I'll deal with it when I have to deal with it. Right now, I'm eating what I want to eat, and I'm enjoying life. All the while, waving off the red flags that were glaring me in the face because I had a family history of type 2 diabetes, um, type type 1 diabetes, um, heart disease, cancer. I mean, you know, there were tons of red flags all around me, but I just ignored them. And that was that's that's one of my questions, really, like up until the point that you – you know, your blood sugar hit you to that point that it, it made you comatose there on the floor. Had you, what were you seeing? Like, what were the symptoms? Like, had you seen symptoms? Like, did you, like, I, I guess knowing you had a family history, like, were you conscious of what was going on or was it more you just waved it off? Like, I, I'm just wondering where your, your head was at because I think a lot of guys get into that place. Um, actually, I did not wave it off. To be honest with you, Gourmet, I had no clue. I had no. I know now that that um, you know I have came to the point that I have in my life and have the knowledge that I have. I can sit today and look back at so many things that were going on at that point in my life that should have been indicators for me, but I I, I had this attitude that you know it, it's. I'm fine. It's not going to happen to me. I'm not. I can still get out of bed in the morning. I can still work sixty hours a week. I can still, you know, spend time with my kids and, and roll around out in the yard and play with them if I want to. I, I didn't have enough severe physical issues at that point in time that I was concerned at all. Which I, I think makes sense. Like, I, I think that ha a lot of guys go through that. And what you're detailing about your story, about your weight, like, that's also like I've talked to a lot of guys on this show who were the ones that were the severely overweight kids and were severely overweight teenagers and went into college, right. and their weight just shot up again. And like, I think your story is kind of more in line with a lot of the guys out there that, you know, yeah, I might have some extra weight, but kind of function really well. Don't see a lot of problems. And then things start to catch up to us. Like we can only like, I, I functioned better at over 500 pounds when I was in my twenties. than I did when I hit my thirties, like, I, I, I think it's, it's almost like, that that trap of age sets in and we don't realize the the impact that it can have on us like especially when you're in that like more than likely you know like you you were dealing with those blood sugar issues for a while it's just that the, the human body being as amazing as it is 
handles it for you know as long as it can and then eventually you hit a breaking point and you you hit a pretty severe breaking point there in 2007 yes indeed yes indeed and something else that um uh, that i thought about after you and i shot my podcast um i had a friend back in this was well i him and I were friends back when I was first diagnosed and when everything happened and I went into the diabetic coma and everything. When I met this guy, he was 19 years old. He was six foot 11 and weighed 700 pounds. Now, this, this guy, for his size, he, I, I mean, I, I worked construction with this guy strong, strong individual, had no problems getting around, didn't have any any outward signs of dealing with any of the stresses that that people that are morbidly obese have. Um, but he died at 31 years old. Okay. He never got he never got a handle on his weight. Um, I don't know if there was something in his family that was actually like maybe some gigantism or something in his family because all of all of the males in his family were incredibly large. Um, not all of them as heavy as he was, but like really, really large people. Even his mother was large. And so that's, it, it's just go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, like, I think that's something like and for he was, you know, 19 and functioning at that weight. Like, I think people hear 700 pounds and they immediately think, you know, TLC, my 600 pound life, you know, 45 year old, 50 year old guy in a bed. Like there are there are people walk. And, and that's one of the things that like this is a whole nother tangent. I don't really necessarily want to take us down for an hour. But I think that's one of the big things when I look at a lot of like fat, fat acceptance accounts and body positivity. And, and there's people that are like, you know, I'm fine. I'm healthy. And it's like, well, you're, you're 400 pounds at 20. Like, yeah, you, you look okay, right? You feel okay right now. Like biologically, you're probably not, but like, you're, you're not showing any symptoms of anything right now. So I, it's almost like you want to say, okay, let's, let's wait a year. Let's wait five years. Let's see what's going to happen. Like, cause something is going to, you know, it's not, it's not a great metabolic place to be, you know, no matter what you, no matter what your numbers look like one day, you know, the next, and that happened to me like that. That's something I definitely saw. Like when my weight would go up and down, like when I was at 540 pounds, I was, you know, almost moving better than I was when I was 470, like, because I was older and, you know, my body had been through so much more, like, and just to hear you talking about, you know, talking about that with him and like that, I think is the road that's there. Like, you know, okay. At 19 and then, you know, 10 years later, 12 years later, not okay. Like it, there's that, and it, and it seems like it's a long time, but it's a blink. Like it really is a blink for, especially people, you know, dealing with those issues, like, and, and dealing with the food issues and all of those things like that time passes no matter what. So, but I, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to derail us for too long on that. What I would like to talk about, like, to, to, like what, so there you were, you were in the hospital, you were told what was going on, like. What immediately was going through your head and like what happened for you right at that point? Like, obviously, I know where you're at now and where you're at now with the work you're doing. It's very different. And we're going to get into that. But what what were the next things that happened for you after that day? Um, within the first six months, um, well, I get, the thing that happened to me the next day was kind of the thing, believe it or not, you would think the coma and everything else that the doctor had to say to me in the hospital would have been enough to light a fire under my backside. But it wasn't. The next day, I went to 
a general practitioner. I'd called, made an appointment. I went to see the general practitioner. And um, of course, you know what it's like when you go to a new doctor, you have all these forms you have to fill out and all this stuff. So I fill out all the papers and I wait and I get back here to see this guy. Now, the doctor comes in the room. He's probably five foot five, five foot six. Um, was about as big around as he was tall and, and had a smoker's cough. Okay. Now he comes in the room and he's got my chart. He introduces himself, shakes my hand and all that. And, uh, he's looking at my chart. He's like, Oh, see so you, uh, had a real bad spell with diabetes last night. Yes, sir. I did. He's looking through my chart some more. And he's like, Oh, so you smoked two packs of cigarettes a day for 30 years. Yes, sir. I did. Still smoke, as a matter of fact. So, and he, he's going through all this stuff, and, and you weigh this much, and I'm, yes. So, he asked me these questions, which were all, like, stupid questions, because it was information that I had already given him. He looks at me, and he says, eh, you'll be lucky to live to 50, and walks out of the room. Literally walks out of the room. And at that point in time, granted, I did not have the knowledge you know, for, about health and fitness and nutrition that I do now. But even at that point, I literally just wanted to like walk out there and just smack him in the face a few times and be like, um, I, you know, I'll show you because I have a mother that at that point in time, she was, she had already had half of her left leg amputated um, from complications of diabetes. She was starting to go blind in her left eye. Um, and she was already having kidney trouble. She wasn't on dialysis. So when all this stuff happens, um, within a year of me being diagnosed, I lost my mother to complications. Um, a year after that, I lost my father from a stroke. He died from complications of a stroke. And within six months of all that, I lost two of my best friends who to, to all, for all I knew, were the healthiest guys I knew. One guy had a brain aneurysm. The other guy had a massive heart attack. Boom, boom, gone. So all of this stuff happens within like a two-year span of me being diagnosed. And that's where, that's where my mantra came from. My mantra, I mean, you're a member of the Dad Bod Transformation Group now, so, so you're going to see a lot of the lives and stuff that I do in there. Uh, and my mantra is this play time's over, get your ass to work. Okay. And that's where that came from that day in that doctor's office. I was like, you know what? I'm going to show you play time's over. I'm about to get serious. And that's what I, and that's what I did. And then everything progressed from there. Which in a lot of ways is, is it's intense that like, I mean, that that's so much to go through in those two years. And like, even just to go through that first experience, like. What what did you do to get started? Like where where did you go from that? Because like the the doctor clearly wasn't holding a hand out to you to lead you down a path. Like no, not at all. Where not did things all. go for you right from there? Well, um, I spoke with my mother the next day after I had that doctor's appointment, and she was like, "Well, if if I were you, I would not deal with a general practitioner. I would deal with an endocrinologist because they specialize in in hormones and situations like that." So I'm like, okay. So we had a really good endocrinologist um, here local. So I made an appointment and it took me like, I think it was on like a four month wait list before I could get in to see him. But what he did was he, he wrote me a 
prescription in the interim for metformin. Started me on a thousand milligrams of metformin twice a day. Um, he wrote me prescriptions for blood pressure, um, for cholesterol. Even though he didn't even have any lab work yet, he just figured I was 400 pounds and I had type 2 diabetes at the least. Uh, I probably had some of these other issues as well because it's pretty common that they all go together. Um, so I, I wait the four months and, you know, in the meantime, while I'm taking these meds and I'm waiting to go see him, um, even though the internet wasn't the resource that it is now, I was still on there constantly trying to learn everything. I was at the library reading books about metabolism and, and about how, how diabetes worked, um, what the differences were between type one and type two diabetes, all these different things, because I, I figured I saw the battle that my mother was fighting. Um, I figured, okay, I'm going into battle. I need to armor up. You know, I, I've, I've got to get, I've got to get the proper weapons. I got to get proper tools so I can fight this. So that's what I started to do. And then eventually, once I got with the endocrinologist and, you know, most endocrinologists have like a dietitian there on staff and things like that. So I was able to speak with the dietitian and that's what really lit a fire under me. Um, she gave me an article about using exercise and diet control to deal with type 2 diabetes. And it was and it was one section in that article that stood out to me and, and hit me upside the head like a brick. It was, it, was a, it was a section in there where it talked about the more lean muscle tissue you have, the better your body is equipped to handle whatever fuel you put in it. So if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you have more lean muscle mass than you have fat mass, you're going to be a better fat burning machine. You're going to be better at burning carbohydrates and all the other nutrients that you put in your body. And that was it. That was, that was the thing that, that like ding, 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 it went off in my head. And then, then I became even more like a sponge and I just wanted to learn everything that I could about nutrition, how the metabolism worked and things like that. Which really kind of like ignited a path for you. So, which I, which I do want to kind of get into like the evolution of, of kind of like you're, cause you're not, you're not on your back aligning cars anymore, but what, so what was going on? Like, where, where did your weight go during all this time? Like, did you start to lose weight? Was it, was that not like really the, was that the focus? Like, I, I guess I just want to get in. Cause I, it's weird because a lot of times with these stories, I don't know kind of like where a person ends up. And, and I know, you know, having done some diving into, into your, you know, your website and then the Facebook groups and everything, I know kind of where you're at today. Like, how, where did you go to next? Like, were you immediately just calorie counting? Were you learning about nutrition and starting to try to apply different things like in that interim time? Or like, were you kind of just like off to the races and working and, and working out? And like, wh what was your life like then on that side of things? Okay. Well, for the first two years, um, the first, well, let's, let's back up a little bit. The very first year, um, well, I'd say within 17 months of me being diagnosed, um, I had lost a hundred pounds. And the only, the only thing I did, um, was stopped all the gluttony. Number one, I, you know, I, I would eat, um, and I, I still ate a fair amount, but I was, I wasn't sitting down and eating, 
you know, a pizza and chicken wings and, and, and all this stuff all together at the same time. But the biggest thing was I cut out soda. When leading up to me being diagnosed, I would, I would not be afraid to estimate that I was drinking between a gallon and a half or two gallons of Mountain Dew a day. Um, and if anybody, anybody, you know, Mountain Dew is Mountain Dew is what it is, but it is one of the highest sugar content sodas out there. Um, and it is definitely not good for you if you're drinking it on that scale, plain and simple. So, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, but just by cutting out soda and starting to pay just a little more attention at that point, I wasn't even reading labels yet. I was just like, you know, if I had just got done eating a huge meal three hours later, when I started to have a few hunger pangs, I, I would say to myself, you don't need to eat. You just ate a big meal. You know, just those steps within the first year, I lost 100 pounds. Then within the second year, as I started to learn more about nutrition, I started to play around with the amount of protein that I was eating versus the amount of carbohydrates that I was eating. Uh, I really, I really kind of left fat alone um, because I figured protein builds muscle. And of course, I had that thing in the back of my head. I need to put more muscle on so I'm a better fat burning machine. And carbo carbohydrates can be detrimental to blood sugar levels. So those were the two things I focused on and I kind of left fat alone. Um, so that pretty much sums up the first couple of years. And that was with no exercise whatsoever. I was still smoking two packs of cigarettes a day then. Um, you know, um, I worked a lot. I've always been one of those guys that, I mean, you know, I, I don't I do not do a lot of physical work now, but I, I typically work 20 hours a day between, um, you know, working with people online, the stuff that I do with the Dad Bod Transformation Group, my own YouTube channel, and things like that. Um, I got a lot of irons in the fire, so I, I spent some pretty long days even though they aren't as physical as it used to be, because being a mechanic is a very, very physical job. Most people don't realize that, but it is incredibly physically demanding. It really is. So now let's, because I feel like now we're kind of probably at the point where things start to really change, not just for you kind of philosophically, but like direction of your life with, with what you were going through. And, and this is also when we come into all, I mean, like, it's it's literally a laundry list of tragedies that you went through, man, which one, I'm obviously, you know, sorry that you went through all of that. But it seems like you were saying like there was a crucible there that that forged this fire inside of you that has taken you into really different directions. So where does your life head after all of this got started? So now you're, you're, two, you're two years in and like, so where, where did things go? Two years in and I lost about 100 pounds and, and I just kind of coasted. For a couple of years, actually, Gourmet, um, you know, I was like, okay, I've done better. I knew I needed to quit smoking, but I also knew me being me, I wasn't ready to do it yet. And I knew that when the time came, when I was ready to quit smoking, I would be able to do that. So fast forward a number of years, um, in at the end of 2012, uh, September 2012, I decided, you know what, I'm going to quit smoking, and. You know, everybody was like, well, why don't you wait till the first of the year and do it? For I was like, no, because I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. Most of those get broken. So um, it was September and I decided I'm going to quit smoking. So um, I got a prescription for Chantix and I had heard a lot of bad things and a lot of good things about Chantix. But I was like, you know what? 
Um, I've been smoking for a long time. I want to make sure that I can kick this habit and kick it right. So I got the prescription for Chantix and you're supposed to take that stuff for like six weeks. Okay. The first week that you take it, you're supposed to smoke normally. The second week you're supposed to like try to have one or two cigarettes a day. Um, the second day of week two, I took the Chantix and the three packs of cigarettes I had at my house and I threw them in the trash and I haven't picked up a cigarette since. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I was, it, but see, that's the thing. I was ready. It, you know, it was my time to quit. I was ready. I'd made a commitment to myself. So that's what I did. So now here we go into 2013. So it's like six months later. I had, I had kicked the habit of smoking for six months and I'm driving by a gym one day and I'm like, you know what? I used it because when I was in, when I was in high school, I lifted weights because it was part of our training regiment. I was a wrestler. Um, and I hadn't been in a gym. I hadn't looked at a weight plate or a dumbbell since I was 16 years old. Um, but I decided to pull in there and I go in and I talk to the guy and he shows me around a gym and I plunked down my money and got a membership. So I'm like, okay, well now I'm going to do this. And I started going to the gym four or five, six days a week. Um, starting to feel better. So I lifted with my ego, <laughs> which was a bad plan. I uh, I tore my long head biceps tendon and and my rotator cuff at the exact same time. I literally, it's like the the tendon went up and and played a part in tearing my rotator cuff. Um, I had a fifty pound dumbbell dumbbell in my hand that I dropped like a stone, and then I couldn't move my arm. Um, so I wound up having to have surgery to have that replaced, and that had me down for like eight months where I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't do anything but sit in a recliner. That's all I could do. Um, and at that point in time, I mean, I had already come quite a ways. Uh, when I started the gym, I was at like, I want to say I had fluctuated back up in a little weight. I think I was like 312 pounds. Okay. Um, so all this fire has been burning inside me, but I got eight months that I got to sit around and do much of nothing while I wait to have surgery and then go through the rehab. <laughs> So that is the first time that I said to myself, I'm, I'm going to take this time that I have down and I'm going to learn to be even better for myself. And I want to help other people, you know, because I didn't have anybody to help me. I had, I had the internet and, and my own drive to get out there and find all the resources that I could find. I had nobody. And, you know, from everything that I knew about personal trainers and nutritionists and dietitians, you know, it, the cost of them was outrageous. So I was like, no, I, I, I want to learn as much as I can learn so I can help as many people as I can. And at that point, I had a regular job, so I wasn't even thinking about it like a career. I just wanted to help people. And then everything just kind of progressed from there. And and then we can fast forward and get into some of that stuff whenever you're ready. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's important because I I think it's it's something I see in a lot of people that I, I've connected with, you know, through Instagram and Facebook and places like that. The, especially people that get really active in terms of helping other people. You know, when they've come through their own journey and they hit that point, and it's funny too. I I want I do want to speak to like you talking about you know quitting quitting smoking because. 
I, w- I was talking with some DMing with someone today who said who was talking about how they get a lot of people asking them like, you know, how do you find the motivation to do X and how do you find the motivation to do Y? And and she said that you know her response to them is always, you're if you have to keep asking that you're not ready to do it. When you're ready to do it, it's going to click inside of you and you're going to know that you're ready. To, and you may not know how to do it. And you may not have the tools in front of you that you need, but you know, like we know, like, and the, the same thing when it was time for me to come, you know, to, you know, I lost all my weight. I gained it all back. And I, I did, when I decided it was time again, I knew it was time to do it again. And I, I think that's a really, it's a really human thing to go through that. And sometimes sadly i think people find that place and then lose it because they don't necessarily get all those other pieces in line but it sounds like for you like you had a lot of things that were just kind of clicking into place in ways that were really great so take us into where where you went from there because i think that is going to be something that can also take us into some different directions when we can start talking about you know really where all this this ended up for you sure um okay so at that point in time i have the rotator cuff surgery done and, you know, I go through the rehab and I make myself, I make my way back into the gym about six months after I started, um, you know, being able to do like a hundred percent granted, I still had to work slowly with the shoulder, but I could go back in the gym and pretty much do everything else. Um, at that point in time, my doctor was like, you know, your A1C is 4.9. There's absolutely no reason for you to be on diabetic medicine. Now, mind you that when all of this happened, when, when I, when I made the decision to join the gym, it was because I wanted to get off diabetic medicine. That was my goal. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to put myself in a healthy enough state that I could control my diabetes without having to take medicine. So the time comes, the day's there, boom, it happens. And I'm like, oh shit, I need a new goal because I'm a goal-driven person. If, if I've got some place to be, I'll get there. You know, but if I don't have any place to be, I'll just hang around. This is just how I am. So, you know, my doctor looked at me and she said, well, you know, John, she said, you've done pretty good for yourself in the gym, other than your little injury you have with your shoulder, um, you know, and, and you're a fairly big guy anyway. She said, why don't you consider bodybuilding? Now, mind you, this was 2015, right? Um, I think I was... Yeah, I was like about 46. <laughs> so so I'm like, um, you know, uh, Doc, I got a lot of respect for you, but are you out of your mind? You know, what, what, what business do I have trying to train to, to, to do any kind of bodybuilding thing? And she's like, no, you don't understand. There are people that train into their, their 50s, 60s, and 70s and beyond. And I'm like, that's amazing. So I start looking all this stuff up on the internet. And sure enough, what she's saying is true. So I'm like, okay, well then that's my new goal. I I want to I want to enter a bodybuilding competition. And I wanted to do it by the time I turned 50. So there I am, you know, full throttle, trying to find out everything I can about bodybuilding, which leads me into a whole bunch of discovery about, you know, macronutrients and how they work in the body and how you can manipulate them to elicit certain responses in the body and things of that nature. Um, And the more I got involved in it, the more that it hit me that implementing some of these types of, you know, the the macronutrient manipulation and, and some of these training, you know, mechanisms 
could actually help a lot of people. So here again, I'm already on the track. It's on the back burner that I want to get to the point that I can help people. And I'm finding yet more information that leads me down that same road. So, you know, it, it's it's just amazing how everything seemed to be pointing me to where I am today. But at that time, I didn't realize that it was all about me just attaining goals for myself, you know. Which, which makes complete sense, you know, that knowing that you've got that kind of like driven goal piece to you. And I I like hearing how it, it kind of all unfolded, like in that the knowledge base kept building more and, you know, and kept kind of growing for you and leading you in these different directions. And so did you let's let's dive into the did you get did you get it to us? Did you get to a show? Did that happen? Like, where did where did that um, end up? No, I still have not. Um, when I turned 50, um, I was I was actually in pretty good shape, um, but I wasn't in I wasn't in stage shape. Um, I, I contacted a, a coach, a, a prep coach, somebody that actually coaches people through like 12 weeks or 24 weeks getting getting ready for a bodybuilding competition. Because let me explain to anybody out there um, that may be considering stuff like this. Um, a personal trainer is one thing. A prep coach is entirely something different. Prep coaches, pep prep coaches do everything. They manipulate. They are constantly changing your workouts. They're manipulating how much water you drink. There are a ton of things that go into being a prep coach. So if anybody ever says that they're a personal trainer and they can, they can like, they can train you from from you know from fat to stage, they're lying to you. Okay, I've got a guy that I'm that I just recently started working with. He wants to do a bodybuilding bodybuilding competition. Told him flat out, I will train you up until. 12 or 16 weeks out and then you're going to have to have somebody else take you from there because that's not that's not my wheelhouse um but so anyway so i hired the prep coach i got lost there for a minute um uh, i hired the prep i hired the prep coach and i sent him a bunch of pictures and whatnot and and i i want to i don't even remember his name i wish i did because i'd give him a shout out um but he was like extremely honest with me and i appreciated that because the guy could have took my money um he's like look it, it's real simple. He says, you know, from where you were to where you are now is absolutely amazing. Are you ready to walk on stage and actually be in a bodybuilding competition and look like you're supposed to be there? No, you're not. Um, you don't, you have not lost enough body fat. Um, and I don't think you could lose enough body fat in the time frame that you're looking to do the, you know, to do the show. So he said, I think you need, you've got more work to do. And and I appreciated that. And the he and he was actually he was actually the person that pointed me towards the ketogenic diet because because he said it would be a real good way to start shedding some of that body fat. So it, it's kind of neat how that all worked out. So no, I still have not done a competition yet. I plan to. Um, I'm actually affiliated now with the OCB. I am the um, I'm the official nutritionist for the OCB Mountain State Classic here in um, St. Jefferson County, West Virginia. It will be happening in June of this year. They have a show every year, but this year they decided they wanted to do a body transformation division. And what that's about, it's, a, it's not about people getting up there in board shorts and bikinis and posing and all that stuff. It's about people like you, Garmy, and people like like me and, and other guys that have been on your show and, and clients that I've helped. Um, it's about people that have transformed their bodies 
And it, it's all about sharing their story so they can motivate and support other people. Um, you know, the promoter reached out to me about being a part of it. And I literally jumped on because that's, you know, that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, so but yeah, at some point in time, I'm, I'm actually looking if everything goes right. Um, I was actually speaking with the promoter last week. If everything goes right, I will be. I'm planning to compete not this summer, but next summer. Nice. And that's that's kind of nice to hear that someone in a coaching place gave you that real talk. Because I think a yeah. lot of times you you can come across, I mean, as many amazing coaches as there are, and as many amazing coaches that I know personally, there are there are also many out there that will say, oh, yeah, let's get you ready for that. You know, get the give me your credit card information and let's get this going, mm -hmm. yep. you know, like because that's their business and that's what they're you know, they you you're convinced you want to do it. So they're like, OK, let's let's do this and let's see what happens. And, you know, eventually you're probably not going to it's not going to turn out so great. But that's good to know that there are still, you know, some people out there that really have some good ethics behind what they're doing, yes. especially yes, when you when you hear some of the horror stories of, of people dealing with those kind of situations. So. One of the things that you've, you've said a couple of times now that I, I kind of want to get into is like, so you not only wanted to help, wanted to start helping people, you know, when you were getting your journey started, like you are now in that sphere, you know, that is something now that you're actively doing. Like, how did that come about? Like, when did that really get started for you? Um, well, I have been helping people without certifications um, for probably the last two to three years. Um, but Recently, like last year, I had issues with my knees. I had a torn meniscus in my left knee, um, and I had surgery to repair that. And while I was rehabbing and relying so much on my right knee, um, an old injury from where I'd had surgery back in the 80s, um, I had surgery back in the 80s, and, it, and I developed arthritis in my right knee while relying on my right leg so much while I was going through the rehab of my left. It literally just shredded all the cartilage and I wound up being bone on bone. So it was like, I just get done having one knee surgery and the doctor looks at me and says, well, the only thing we're going to be able to do with this one is replace it. So in December 10th of last year, I had a full knee replacement. And um, six days after my surgery, I was climbing steps. Um, nine days after surgery, I was at the gym walking on the treadmill. And I was not supposed to be doing any of that, but that's, that's me. That's I'm, I'm driven. Okay. Um, and, and that, but that downtime, the downtime while I had to wait on the surgery, cause you got, you know, how insurance is and you have to jump through all these hoops. So I spent from April till December, I had my surgery being extremely inactive. Um, because of that, I wound up gaining almost 50 pounds back. But more importantly, I took all that downtime where I couldn't work and I busted my butt and I got my certification as a nutritionist, just got my certification as a personal trainer. Um, I, there are still like several specialty certifications that I plan. When it's all said and done, I'll be a master trainer through the ISSA. So. And, and I was actually sitting, I, I had got done studying because I had this routine. I'd get up in the morning and, I, and I'd put some like, you know, like concentration music on and I would do my studying. And then I turned on a podcast and I don't even remember who was on the podcast. I do remember it with this uh, Tom Bilyeu, one of his impact theory things on YouTube or whatever. 
But the guest that he had on, I, I was out in the kitchen making eggs and, and I was just listening to everything. And the guest said something and it was another one of those things that just hit me upside the head. He's like, find the world's biggest problem and you will find the world's biggest opportunity to help people. And I was like, holy crap. So I literally picked up my phone and I'm like, Google, how many people in the world today have type 2 diabetes? I get, I get this 280 million people. Um, 70 million are undiagnosed, you know, things of that nature. I, I forget what all stats she read off to me. But anyway, so I'm like, that's it. So I, I finished making my eggs and I went to my desk and I immediately I went to GoDaddy.com and I, I got a domain, T2Nutrition.com. I wanted to name a business that would help people with metabolic conditions, not only diabetes, but there are other metabolic conditions too. There's problems like, like celiac disease and things of that nature. Um, but that was my, that was the big aha moment for me. I'm going to build a business around this. I'm going to get my certifications and I'm going to help as many people in the world as I can help. Mm. You know? Which is really one of the reasons why, like when we were when we were recording your podcast after talking about it, like I think your own experience with type two and your family history and all that you went through fueling this is is pretty epic, man. And it's it's a discussion that I don't think we're having enough. Like I one one of the questions that just burns up for me, like in the middle of like all of all that you went through, especially with like your doctors and with your endocrinologists, like did you ever run into like because I've personally, I've got friends that get more of the take this medicine instead of change what you're eating attitude from doctors when it comes to their their type 2 diabetes. Like, so where do you fall in all of that? Like, what is this? I get, is, is that even a question? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, I, I guess what I want to, because I really want to talk about this topic of, of type 2 diabetes and what people are doing and, and how we're as a culture handling it because it seems like we've become this culture that is encouraging people to take more and more medicines and use more and more insulin because we've just given up on this idea that people might be able to change it in other ways, you know, might be able to change it by moving their bodies and eating differently. Like it's, so it seems like you, like you said, like you wanted to tackle the biggest problem. It's not just a big problem numbers wise like in terms of the number of people diagnosed with different metabolic conditions and hormonal conditions like you're dealing with this huge wave of culture saying all you need is a needle and a pill yep yeah and now and now they have pumps that they can put in yeah. you and all these other things yeah and i think and, and that's the thing is like like i have cousins that are type one and know that those things are like lifesavers for them and then I have fr I have friends that are type two that I know, you know, there's that part of me that on the inside screams like, just let's just can we just talk about what you're eating? Like, can we just talk about that? Like, so where do you from your like, how do you build a business around about helping people with those issues? Like, what what has that been like? <laughs> um, it has been challenging, um, but fulfilling. Here's the thing. Okay, uh, when you break down diabetes as a disease and what it actually is, um, it, it becomes a little more easier to understand. Okay, type one diabetes is the lack of insulin. There is nothing that a human being can do about that. Type one diabetes 
90% of the time you're born with. Okay. It, it will come on you. You will really start to notice issues in childhood. Um, there are some cases where people develop type one diabetes later in life. But in most cases, those are people that had type two diabetes for years and it was undiagnosed. Okay. The way, the way diabetes, <clears throat> excuse me, the way diabetes and, and carbohydrates and all that stuff works in your body is simple. Simple, but not so simple. Okay. Obviously, everybody knows carbohydrates break down to glucose. Glucose goes into the body. Every cell in your body has an insulin receptor. Okay. What happens is those insulin receptors sense that there is, you know, glucose in the bloodstream. They send signals to the cells to open up so they can re restore and replenish glycogen, which is the stored form of glucose in cells. Um, you know, and they they signal the body, hey, we've got all this energy floating around in here. It's time to use it. But the bad thing about it is if you are not using it, if the cells are full, you're not using it and you still have <clears throat> an abundance left in your bloodstream. The insulin receptors say, OK, well, we don't have a need for this and, and we can't hold any more here. Let's send it to the liver. So it gets sent to the liver, and the liver, when it hits there, any glycogen that it needs gets replenished, and then it takes anything that's left over, puts it through a process called lipogenesis, turns it to triglycerides, which is essentially body fat, and that is to be stored for later use. That is the body's natural process of storing energy, is storing it in fat. Um, while how people develop type two diabetes is they constantly eat too many carbohydrates, especially. Okay. I, you know, I don't like to say carbohydrates are evil, but they are the main source of what causes this. And I'll explain why as I go on. Um, if you are constantly eating more carbohydrates than you need, and your body is constantly having to channel it to the liver, to get stored as fat, you're constantly trying to make insulin to deal with that sugar because insulin is insulin is the messenger. It tells what everything what to do. Okay, it turns on the anabolic switches. It turns on the fat storing switches. It, it, it's responsible for all that. So think of insulin as like the conductor in your body. So now, if you continue to do this and abuse your body with more and more carbohydrates. The insulin receptors are constantly trying to produce more insulin to deal with the influx of sugar. Okay. The liver is doing its job and making more and more fat. So you're storing more and more fat on your body. The more fat you store on your body, the less sensitive the insulin receptors become to the glucose. And the next thing you know, you are actually what's known as insulin sensitive, which is in fact type 2 diabetes. So that's how the whole process works. Type 2 diabetes is connected to body fat, plain and simple. First and foremost, visceral fat in the midsection, both men and women. It's one of the worst things that you can have an abundance of because it's what brings on type 2 diabetes. And what, like, uh, I'm glad that we're, we're kind of able to dive into this, this process a little bit deeper. Like, how, am I, how can I phrase this? The, just say this best like 
so knowing that this this is like that a process a driven process in the body you know and it eventually is affected by the body fat and what you're eating and taking in like where does where does where does someone go like where what do you think like if if you're if you were dealing with yourself like so say say take john now okay you know we're john where you are now with type type you know t2 nutrition and you know you get the dad bod transformation facebook group which we're going to talk we we still going to talk about that because that's a pretty pretty great thing that i've just discovered this week um so say you're sitting across from john in 2007 who's you know sitting you're sitting across from him in the hospital you know and the doctor has just walked out after telling him that he's type 2 diabetic what do you say to him like where where should someone think about going like what what direction do you think is is important for people to think about um, if I'm me now talking to the me of 2007, um, and me having been through everything that I've been through, the, the very first thing that I would say to 2007, John, is what you just heard is not a death sentence. Okay. Because to be quite honest, in that moment, when that doctor told me all that stuff, that was the very first thing that, that flew through my mind. I was like, Oh, hell, now I've got this disease and I know that this disease has killed my grandmother and my mother has it and all these other issues. So, yeah, I mean, the very first thing that went through my mind was fear. But if it was me after the doctor left the room and I was sitting there, I'd be like, look, the doctor didn't give you a death sentence. He gave you a wake up call. You need three things to beat type two diabetes. You need the proper diet. You need to exercise and you need to realize that playtime is over. Okay. You don't have time. You don't have the wiggle room to stop at 7 Eleven and pick up a dozen mini donuts and eat them. Okay. You don't have time. You don't have, you don't have the ability anymore to stop and pick up a quart of chocolate milk and drink it on the way to work. Those things are over and done for you because if you look at the value of those things, and I'm not talking about monetary value, what they mean to you, what they give to you in that moment and how long that feeling lasts, is that worth your life? Because here's the thing, if, that's, if, if those things are more important to you than changing your life, then I can't help you. But if you want to live to be a ripe old age and you want to see your grandkids have kids and, and you, want to, you want to go to your maker knowing that you have lived the best life that you could possibly live, that you were the best example for your kids and your grandkids that you could be, then all it takes is following a proper diet, doing some exercise, and putting it in your head that playtime's over. It's time to go to work. That's what I would say. I think, no, I think that makes complete sense. I think that's really important for people to realize, like one, I, I think it's great that you said that it's not a death sentence because I think there's a sense of almost inevitability now that comes to people because so many people are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes that it's almost like it's expected by some people. Like, I don't have it yet, but I know what's coming. And when it does, I'll just deal with it when it comes. Like it's not, it's no, it's, it's for some people, it's not that wake up call because it's become so normalized. Like it's become 
such a thing that it's like, well, yeah, you just need to do this. And and I know this is something that you and I talked about when we were recording your podcast, like the way that it, just, just the fact that the medications that people are given to treat type 2 diabetes are not cures for type 2 diabetes. There is no there's there's no real way to cure it completely. Like you can you can make changes that eventually make you like you were said, like you went got off your medication. Like, you know, I know people that have gone from having an A1C of like 12 and 13 and now have an A1C in the four and five range, you know, by changing, you know, changing their diet and their exercise, like, and aren't on medications anymore. Like that, that, that process, it's not inevitable that you're going to have to go down that road, but it's almost like we've built this culture that is like, well, yeah, just do it. You know, just accept that it's going to be a part of your life and, and accept that it's forever the way it is right in that moment. No, me, uh, Gormy, you just, you just, you just touched on it right there. Acceptance. We live in a world where people accept things that they shouldn't accept. It's plain and simple. I am not a political person in any way, shape, or form. I don't like to get into these big, huge debates that all these people talk about these days. But the fact of the matter is, if you take, and we talked about this at the end of my podcast, if you take obesity, combine it with diabetes, because the one leads to the other, you have a pandemic that is much more powerful and will kill many more people than the coronavirus or any of this other stuff out there combined. Trust me. Why? Why? Because we live in a world where people accept it. Oh, I'm just big boned. No matter what I do, I can't lose weight. I'm going to be proud of me just the way I am. And for those people, if that's what you need to think to make it through the day, good for you. But I'm calling bullshit because I know, I know what excess visceral fat in the abdomen region does to a body. I know what constant flooding of the bloodstream with insulin because it can't handle all the carbohydrates you're eating. I know what that does to the body. And if, if, if Mary and Joe that have this body positive image and they're like, it's okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to live my best life. No, sweetie, you're not going to live your best life. You're going to live a life, but you can better believe it's not going to be your best. And that's the problem. We accept too much today. This obesity, 95% of obesity is preventable. Type 2 diabetes is 100% preventable. It's that simple. But yet these two things combined are killing more people than all these other things rolled into one. And you explain to me why that happens. It's because we accept it. And it's, it's because it's, it's gone from being treated as actual medical situations to you're somehow attacking identity when you talk about these issues. You know, you're, you're attacking the core of a person's being when you talk about weight issues and when you talk about type 2 diabetes or you talk about obesity and you talk about eating issues. Like you're somehow saying someone's a bad person. Like we, we, we've applied moral judgments because we do, you know, we're a culture, you know, especially here in the United States, we're, we're a culture, we're like a sin culture. You know, like the, the whole idea of like, when smoking advertising was removed from television, like it was, there was this big push, you know, not just to be that smoking isn't healthy for you, but you're a bad person if you do it. And so 
that model, I think, carries through in a lot of other areas. And I think it carries into weight issues. And so people are ready for it. Like, it's almost like the defenses are up already that, like, when you want to talk to someone about these issues, you're automatically going to that place of telling them that they're a bad person. And it's like, this, this is not at all about good, bad, evil, you know, righteous, anything along those lines. This is simply about your health. This is simply about the, li the life that you're living and realizing that you can live a different life. But we live in this, this culture now where, one, we, it, I, I love, like, because you look back on, like, if you were to look back on, like, go back to, like, I don't know, like, the, four, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, like, even, the, even just go back those number of years and look at, like, pictures of, like, the, the fact that circuses had had big people on the circuses, you know, like the oh, sideshow yeah. fat man kind of thing. But look at who, look at the size of like, I, I've even seen some old, like doing some Googling and things along those lines from the many different things I've done, like pictures of like the world's fattest man in the twenties. He was like 400 pounds, you know, 450 pounds was considered so outsized that it's unbelievable. But now there are, there are teenage, like you're saying, you know, there are teenagers that size. You know, I've told, I've told a story on this podcast before. Last year, before I was getting ready, to, I had to make a Walmart run before I left to go to KetoCon. And I was, I was walking um, past, because, you know, most Walmarts now have like a small supermarket in them, if not a full one. And I'm walking by this aisle, and it catches out of the corner of my eyes, because it's the cookie aisle. So I still have a little bit of a tug in my heart when I walk by, um, you know, because there's a wall of Oreos. But I noticed there's this family in front of this wall of Oreos, and every member of this family was morbidly obese. Every member. The, there were two parents that were probably in the 350, 400-pound range, and there was a kid with them who I would guess is somewhere in the, the 11 to 15 range, not really sure, but probably in the 450 to 500-pound range. And they were picking out Oreos together. And and I was just immediately like, I was oh, one. I was kind of like I I kind of just finished what I was doing, and got got right out to my car, and I started recording video to put on Instagram, like ranting about this because I was angry. Like I was angry that this family was was there in this in Walmart picking out cookies together, and then I almost I got overtaken by sadness because not. Not sad for those parents because there they are as adults and they're, they know what they're doing. You know, as much as people say they don't know, they don't know how they got big. They don't, you know, we, we all have different paths we, we take in life. But I know what that kid is going to go through. Like, I know the path that that kid is on and I know where it's leading and I know what's going to be literally taken from him because of this. And I just sat in my car and cried. Because I knew, I knew there was no way I could go back in that store and talk to them and have any kind of impact. Like, there's no way you can do that. But it, it's almost like you feel paralyzed and powerless because we are in this place now where there, it's not that you're like, I was, when, I was, when I was the fat kid, I was the only fat kid in my class. You know, my, my class of like 35 people. I'm probably the fattest kid in school and one of the only kids in the school that had a weight problem that was that severe. Now, it's almost like that's more the norm, like seeing seeing children, you know, realizing that they're, you know, I have friends that are teachers that talk about having more than one student in a classroom teaching in like a middle school and a high school that they need a special desk for. Like, we're now like at this place where, you, like you said, it's becoming 
you know, no pun intended, critical mass. No, and that's actually good. That's how, that's actually good. That that's a good way to phrase it, Gorman. To be quite honest with you, because it is critical, and that's what that's what that's the thing that people need to start to realize. Look, I have a ten year old granddaughter. I'm giving away my age. Okay, <laughs> I have a ten year old granddaughter, and I go to pick her up at school. She's coming to spend the weekend at at my house, so I pick her up from school on Friday, and I'm sitting there waiting on her to come out of school, and the bell rings, and I watch these kids come out. And I, I, there's no way to know if it's an accurate estimate, but just judging by the kids that I saw come pouring out of that school, 70% of them were overweight. A good 30 to 40% of them were obese. You know, I never saw that when I was a kid in school. And granted, I was, when I was in the schools in the 70s and whatnot, but still, it's just something that you didn't see. But what's going on now is, because we we live in this accepting society, it's like, it's okay, honey. You can't help it. Bullshit. Yes, you can. Hope I could say bullshit. I just, no, I okay. get a it's little okay. passionate <laughs> as you probably figured out already. No, but, no, the, the passion's know, okay, man. It's, yeah, I, I'm extremely passionate about this. And, you know, it, it's like, it just bothers me so bad because these people, parents, don't realize what they're doing to their kids. I, you know, my kids are all grown. My, 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 my youngest child will be 19 in November. Okay. Um, five kids, two grandkids, but kids are all grown. But now I'm in my prime of building the legacy that I want to leave to my kids. I have one son who is, who is overweight. He suffers from epilepsy. Um, and I'm doing everything I can with him to try to shift him towards a ketogenic diet. And between using a ketogenic diet to lose the weight, and I know that that's beneficial for epilepsy, and also introducing exogenous ketones is also very good. So I, I'm trying to work him towards this, but he's in his 20s. You, 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 it's, it's dad, but what's dad going to tell you? You know, I, I can say what I, I can say what I want to say. He say, yeah, sure, dad. See you later. Bye. And then, you know, goes on and does whatever he wants. Um, but it's like I deal with so many people that, you know, probably a good 30 to 40 percent of my clients are considered obese. And the reason that, that I acquire a lot of these clients is my story. My, my story is my billboard, you know, because I've done it. I, you know, like you, I have, I, have, I have been down the journey. I have walked the walk so I could talk the talk, you know. And um, I, I, I meet with these people and they're just like, I don't know how this happened. Well, okay, I get that. You don't know how it happened, but for since it happened, for X amount of years, you've been accepting it and just thinking that that was your fate. That thought process, that mindset ends today because you can, you have the ability to change your life, change the way that your body reacts to food, change everything about your life when it comes to health and fitness. You have the power to do that. You have the power. You just need the tools. And that's where I come in. And I think that, that that was going to be my next question, because I think there's probably people listening, hearing us talk and hearing us get passionate about this, who are saying, you're right, I want to change. 
you're right, but I've tried so many times and everything fails. And you, the, I know a lot of times when you, especially when you talk with people who are kind of in that, the fat acceptance or body positivity place, they talk about statistics when it comes to, to weight loss and, and recidivism, recidivism and all of those things that, that pile up. And what, how do you, what is your response when someone says, you know, I want to do this, but I'm worried that I statistically I'm going to fail. So am I just, am I just beating myself up by trying? Like what, what, where, where do you come from? Like, what is your reaction to something like that? Like that attitude? Cause I honestly, I see that. I honestly get that a lot. I hear that from a lot of people. It's, it's very common. It's very common. Okay. Well, first and foremost, my approach when, when it comes to dealing with clients is it's holistic in nature. What I mean by that is when, um, when I start working with a client, I get the very first thing I do before I even actually sit down and talk to them in most cases is I give them about nine pages of homework. My intake forms ask them questions that they have actually said to me, I don't know why you're asking these questions. What do they have to do with my weight? They have everything to do with your weight. Questions like, um, you know, what would you consider your stress level to be on a daily basis? How much sleep do you get a night? Um, I know that you want to lose weight, but how much is your family in support of what it is that you're trying to do? And how much are they willing to support you on a daily basis? All these questions I ask because they're all going to be very integral in, in my approach. Okay. My approach is very simple. I'm not going to put a bandaid on cancer. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put some Neosporin and a Band-Aid on type 2 diabetes and say, yep, I fixed that. If you give somebody a diet, a diet, and you know this yourself because you tried many diets over the years, if you give them a diet, as long as they follow that diet, they'll lose weight. It'll work for them. But there comes a time that all those little things that are underlying inhibiting factors will rear their ugly head and they will derail you from following your diet. Okay. So the way that I deal with people is I change their mindset. I change how they think about food. I change how they think about themselves and what it is that they're doing. And, and most importantly, I drill this into their head. They need to find their why. My why, when all this happened to me, my why was my kids. I was not going to not be there as a father for my kids. I was not going to die in a year like that man told me at the hospital. I wasn't going to die by the time I was 50 like that roly-poly doctor said to me. I wasn't going to do any of that. I made a mindset shift. That mindset shift not only kept me, got me successful as far as my weight loss, controlling my type 2 diabetes, but it's kept me that way. And even when I ran into a situation like last year, when I picked up weight because I had, I did not have the physical ability to be as active as I was, as soon as I got the green light, what was I doing? I was right back controlling my diet. I'm right back in the gym, 32 pounds gone. And just, you know, on a steady, even cue. It's a mindset. You have to change the way you think about everything. 
And if you don't, if you just follow, you know, it's like I had one one client the other day. He's like, well, you know, you, yeah, you gave me the macronutrients that, I, that I'm supposed to eat and, and all that. Um, but are you just going to give me a, a, a meal plan and tell me what I need to eat for breakfast and what I need to eat for lunch? No, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm telling you that for breakfast, you need to get 35 grams of protein, about 40 grams of fat, and roughly 30 or 40 grams of carbohydrates. I've told you what are good sources of each of those. I want you to figure that out yourself. Because if all I do is hand out meal plans to everybody all the time, I'm putting Band-Aids on cancer. I'm not fixing them. My, my goal is it, when I take on a client, I don't want to have to work with a client for more than a year. I don't. I don't. And, and I've had people, you know, people that I've done podcasts with and whatnot, and I've told them that, and they're like, well, that doesn't seem like job security. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Because for every person that I can give the tools that they need that after a year's time, they don't need me anymore. When they're talking to their friend at the gym or they're talking to somebody at the grocery store, they're talking to somebody at church, I'm going to say, yeah, man, you know, I worked with this coach and, and he just didn't give me a diet and a workout plan. He was like, he, he like got to me. He, he really got to me and, and, and talked to me on a regular basis. And he was like, you know, no, you need to figure some of this stuff out for yourself. I'll guide you because ultimately that's my job. But I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to hand everything to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat things for you and I'm not going to do the work for you. Plain and simple. I actually have one lady that is one of the members of well, she's going to be in the body transformation division and she's actually going to be a guest on my podcast. Her name is Misty Harris. She's a minister. She's She's an amazing woman. She's lost a lot of weight. She still has a journey to go, but she's competing in the body transformation division. And her husband, I met him the first time at an OCB seminar. Her husband's name's Rick. And um, he doesn't look like he's in that bad of shape. But Missy was talking to me kind of off to the side. She's like, look, you know, I really wish that, that I could motivate my husband to work out with me because she's a beast. Let me tell you, she's in the gym six days a week. She's doing all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, she's on top of her food and she's doing a fantastic job. But she's like, I, no matter what I do, I can't motivate him. And he's got cholesterol that's at stroke level. And, you know, he's got problems with type 2 diabetes and all these things. So I start talking to him. And... um I talked to him at that seminar, and then I've had some interaction with him outside through social media and phone calls and whatnot. Well, a couple Saturdays ago, she called me and she's like, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really, really worried. He's acting lethargic all the time and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, bring him down to the gym. Let's all work out together. So she brings him down to the gym and we go through a workout. And I mean, he just, he put 110% in, which she said he never did when he would go, when she could get him to go with her. Um, he put 110% in and he was, he was real, he was real intent, you know, on listening to what I had to say when I would tell him about different things and whatnot. And at the end of it all, I, I just looked at him and I said, Rick, it, it's real simple, brother. You know, you, you've got cholesterol that's at the point where you could have a stroke at every, any day. Your type two diabetes is not controlled and that is not at all going to be beneficial to you in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, I said, you need to start working out on a regular basis and you need 
to eat like your wife. You need to start, you know, controlling what you're eating and things like that. He's like, well, you know what? He says, he says, I think I will. I think I might just do that. I might just do that. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And uh, so it was funny because a week later, she was getting ready to go to the gym and he was supposed to go. And he started him and hauling. And he's like, no, I don't think I'm going to go. I got some stuff that I need to do around the house. I'm not going to do that. But I had told him before I left them that time when they worked out, I was like, look, if you don't want to do this for yourself, do it for your wife standing right here because she wants you around with her as long as she's around. And if you can't do that, then I'm going to find you and I'm going to put my size 13 foot dead in your ass. That's what I told him, right? So that day when he's like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to hang around the house. She's like, okay, but um, on the way to gym, I'm going to call John, tell him bring that size 13 down. Don't you know he put his shoes on went right to the gym and hasn't missed a day since. You know, sometimes it just takes being real with people. You know, you can't always just say, well, you should do this and you should do that. Follow this plan. Follow this workout plan. Um, you know, this workout plan works for all my other clients, so it'll work for you too. And and expect to see results that are going to last. It's just not going to happen. And and I think that's that's a key thing. Like I I told you that's what I think is the key to where I'm at now. Like the fact that like like I have I've lost I'm amazing at losing and gaining weight. Like I'm fantastic at it. But putting the other pieces together to figure out what I needed to do to make you know my life sustainable and figure it all out had to do with really figuring out my why and figuring out you know, what was actually going on for me in my mind as a person. And that was one of the things when I was reading some of the materials on your website, you know, you talked about, you know, I don't just do the how I talk about the why, like, I think that is something that that people miss, because as a as a society, we want to be handed the printed meal plan. You know, we want to be handed, you know, measure out half a cup of this and weigh out two ounces of that and just do that three times a day, six times a day, five, whatever it is. And then you'll lose the weight and that'll be fine. And then like you, like you were saying, like, so say you give me seven days of meals, eventually there's an eighth day. And do I just keep getting, do I just repeat the meal? Like, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I handle that eighth day alone? Like, I think it's, it's really about the person who's out there right now who thinks they've tried everything. Like realistically, like you said, every diet's going to work. Like they all work because they work. But are they are they going to build something sustainable for you if you're not actually working on all the other things that are going into this? Like, it's one of one of my friends who's been on the podcast a couple of times has has talked to me about like he's like one of the things I feel like you've talked about a lot is like your why and like how you got to where you're at. He goes, but have you really do have you really for yourself identified why you think you got as big as you did in the first place and what were the things that that brought you there so you can see those things when they come at you again. And I think there, there's, there's big questions for people to ask and like getting help to do that is, is never something that I think people should be afraid of because this is a massive, you know, again, no pun intended. This is a massive problem to tackle alone. It's a massive problem to tackle alone. And it is, especially when you feel powerless when it comes to food or you feel powerless, you don't know how to work. Like you feel like you have no, no sense of direction when it comes to all of those things. So how can you even imagine being successful at them? So I really think that holistic approach you're taking is something that is really important for people to think about. Like, don't just think about, if 
finding the next hottest diet book that's out there that's going to give you the answers you need. Like, think about what is what is everything going into all of this for you? Like, what does it really mean to want to lose the weight? Like, why do you really want to do it? Like, what is going to change for you? And also, like, the thing that I encourage people to think about is as as much as I think is I think about that meme, the internet meme of the dog, the dog sitting in the burning house that says this is fine. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's what I think my life was like for decades. Like mm-hmm. I was the I was the dog sitting in the burning house and everything was fine. And I had convinced myself that everything was fine and it wasn't until I realized, wait a minute, things are not fine. And admitting that to yourself I think is really scary. But it's it's a powerful moment when you say, one, you can say things are not fine and have that realization. And then I think the next step is I need to figure out what I need to do to get to fine, to actual fine. And maybe I can't do that alone. And maybe I can. There are people, there are people, I know people that have lost more weight than I have and have never literally talked to another person about it. And that's amazing for them. But then I know people that had to lose a quarter of what I had to lose and needed someone there to help them guide that journey. And I I think that's another thing to think about is like, what are the, not just what is that meal plan going to be for you, but what are the tools that you might need to help you? Like, be realistic about what you can handle and be realistic about what you can manage. And don't, again, don't be afraid to ask for help, but also don't be afraid to just to really kind of open yourself up to it. Because I also know that was a big thing for me. Like, I, I think I avoided getting help for years because I considered myself uncoachable and unhelpable. And I had to finally just let go of the ego, let go of the ego. And say, maybe someone else might know what's better for me as much as I think I know what's best. You know, like, let go of some of that ego and and see kind of that's when the, some of the magic can happen. And, you know, we, we've been talking for a while, so I don't want to take up your whole night. But I do also want to talk about you've got some other things going on that are, are some great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, you're fine. Like, yeah. We could we could talk like I told you on oh, my yeah. podcast. We can talk all night. I'm good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let, let so now let, we, we've alluded to also to the Facebook group. The Dad Bod Transformation yes. Facebook group. Like, can you tell us a little bit, tell people a little about that? Because honestly, I didn't know what I was getting into when I posted. Like, I, I, I kind of oh. went in a little naive. Uh, in terms <laughs> it's of, amazing, isn't it? You know, like thinking like, because I've had it happen recently. You know, for the most part, like in a lot of ways, Facebook groups can be one of two things. They can be really great resources 5% of the time. And 95% yeah. of the time, they're either inactive or mm-hmm. it's people just waiting in the bushes to snipe at someone, you know, like looking, yes. waiting to attack. Yep. And, you know, yep. this, this, this group seems to have a great energy to it and some really kind of great fierceness. And yes, some really great kind of male spirit going on. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so, there's, so, a, there's a lot of that. Oh, yeah. So like we're you're on the fat guy forum. So I think this could be something that's really helpful for a lot of the guys out there. So oh, I agree. Tell, I tell agree them a little, tell them a little bit about it and where that came from. Yep. Well, it actually what started it all was the the founder of the group. His name is Emil Uzelak. He uh, he started the he started the group just to share his own journey. First and foremost, as a matter of fact, him and I have talked many times, and he said that uh, when when he first set up the group, he didn't figure he'd have maybe more than ten or twelve people join. Okay. Within the first year, he had 18,000 members. Um, They're currently sitting at, they just broke 22,000 members this week. Um, I, when I joined the group back in May of last year, 
Um, it was right after I had received my certification as a nutrition expert. And um, I was in there talking in the group. Now, a meal I had actually known from a, another group called Ketogenic Bodybuilding. He was actually a moderator there, so I'd had a little bit of interaction with him there. But um, so I, I joined the Dad Bod group, and inside of about a month, a month and a half, I literally just, I had never been in a group that had the camaraderie and, and the way that they were, they were protective over each other. They had a mindset that was no nonsense that, you know, you can be on whatever damn diet you want. You can be on paleo, the snake diet. It doesn't matter what it is. You can be on whatever diet you want, but if you're a dad or you didn't even have to be a dad, if you're a guy that is, that is rocking the dad bod and is looking for a way, you know, looking for some motivation or support to try to do something about that. This is the place for you with no judgment, nothing but love and support. And I, and I immediately just fell in love with the whole thing. So after about a month and a half, um, Emil actually approached me to become one of the resident coaches in the group. And again, that was another one of those things that happened that lit a fire under me because first of all, I was extremely honored um to be asked because the let, let me tell you the the level of coaching that this group has is second to none um you've got between the between the four resident coaches there is over 40 years of experience okay the the what i would call the head coach of the group the guy that's been doing this the longest his name is matt griffiths this guy has been a he's been a strength and conditioning coach for the British military. He has worked with people like Martin Ford, Eddie Hall, the world's strongest man, um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He he's worked with all of these people over the years. And now he is a moderator and a resident coach in this group, providing valuable free content on a daily basis to the members of this group. You don't find that anywhere else on Facebook. And because of that, that's why this group is growing as fast as it is. Well, it is it is a, a fantastic uh, group of one. I, I've, I've caught a couple of the different lives, you know, by the coaches. And there's some really great resources and some some great information in there. And just really another another really a, a great it's it's always nice to find. Like I'm a I'm an active member of a group called the Keto Man's Club, and the Keto Man's Club on Facebook is is one of those oasises for people away from some of the, you know, the 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 darker side of Facebook, as it were. And I feel like this is another one. This is another one where like you're yeah. And, and the thing I like is like you're gonna get some some good natured ribbing, like depending on what you put up. And you know, clearly there's some guys on there that 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 are also at every so often putting something out there that they're trying to get a rise out of people you know, in a, in a good natured way, which, which is, is nice to see, but also you're seeing a lot of people that kind of, like you're saying, like come together and say, okay, why are you doing this? What's going on? Like, let's be like, no, not, there's, there's not a lot of like, you, there's not a lot of smoke being blown up people's butts. Like there's not a lot of like, Oh, that that's really fantastic. It's like, no, like someone posted a question today. And I know immediately, like my first instinct was like, I want to question why they're even asking that question. And as soon as I was, I was getting to reply, like three other people were asking the same thing that I wanted to ask. Like, it was just great to see people, you know, not buying each other's crap. Cause I think that's another thing. Like 
one of the things that I've appreciated on my journey is like finding those those connections with people who aren't just going to say, oh, yeah, you're doing so great. And yeah, you had a rough day. You know, yeah, you had a rough week. And oh, yeah, everyone slides for a month and everyone slides for two months. Like, you know, I, I feel like I, I found a great network where if someone disappears for, for two days. You know, like because I'll say this, like I've been out there in this kind of weight loss fear long enough, you know, on my own journey. I know my own behavior that when I have I know someone who's been in a similar place as me, when they disappear for a couple of days, I know what's going on. And they might not want to say what's going on, but you're immediately like, okay, they're they're obviously dealing with a challenge right now and probably are not in the best place and probably not eating the best right now. So let's drop a message and just say, hey, I haven't seen you around. What's going on? And I feel like this group is another one of those places where someone can find those kind of resources and support. It's a, it's, it seems like yes, it's a really, a really great thing out there, man. That's awesome. Yep, sure is. I, I'm blessed to have found it without a doubt. Definitely. And so say... I, I think you you've put out a lot of passion in, in our discussion tonight and you got passionate about a couple topics and I feel like we could probably talk for another hour and get passionate and probably <laughs> make some make some people made a lot make a lot of people out there mad at us um for some of uh, the directions probably. we could go in with them, probably. But if but there's that's someone okay. out there there's who, other epi- there's oh, other episodes. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. And but but I also want to give you a chance, like so say there is someone out there who's like, John sounds like someone I want to connect with and even investigate your services more, like What's the best way for someone to find you and, and kind of find everything that you're involved with? Well, it's not hard to find me. I'm pretty much everywhere. Of course, as we just got done talking about the Dead by Transformation Group on Facebook, um, I'm a resident coach and a moderator there. So it is a private group. So you have to apply to join. Um, but pretty much you just, there's like three or four questions that you answer and then you get shifted over to the moderators and then they they look at your they look at your profile, make sure you're not in there to try to sell supplements and stuff like that, um, which you're not a troll. And then they go ahead and approve you. Um, but um, on Facebook, um, of course, my my private Facebook, I have no problem sharing it. It's just John A. Kovaleski, um, T2 Nutrition and Wellness on Facebook, um, YouTube. LinkedIn, uh, Twitter on, on actually on Twitter, I'm wellness. I'm at wellness T2. I don't know why it did that to me, but it did T, T2 nutrition and wellness on Instagram. And then I also have my website, which is just t2nutrition.com. And that has got, it's got an email form on there. It's, everything's pretty standard. It's got a phone number there that comes directly to my cell phone. I'm not one of these people that sets up these auto responders. Um, if you want to talk to me, I want to talk to you. It's the type of person I am. So that's pretty much how you can find me if you're interested. Um, I'm, I'm always willing to work with people. Uh, my, my, I'm one of those coaches that I'm not trying to get rich off coaching. I'm just trying to help people. So my prices are affordable and, I, and I'm willing to work with people if they need the help. And I think that message comes through loud and clear from what we've talked about tonight. John? I want to, before we even move into like the, I, I've got some final questions I always ask people, but I want to give you a chance. Is there anything, you know, in your journey that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about tonight or anything that you wanted to make sure that you got to bring up while you were, you were here with me? Um, not that I can think of the, the only thing that, that I would say, and granted, I don't know what your ending questions are. And if there are anything like the ones that I throw at people, I never know. But, um, the only thing that, that I would say that I want to, you know, leave people with before I get into your questions is, you know, you guys have all the power, you know, man or woman, 
old person or child, it doesn't matter. You guys have all the power. You can be gourmet size. You can be the size I was. You can be bigger. You can be smaller. If you are the type of person that is in the situation that you need to do something to live your best life, if you need to do something to improve your health and fitness on any level, the best advice I can give you is make an investment. Make an investment in your health. If that means hiring a coach, it means hiring a coach. If it means spending $10 a month and getting on bodybuilding.com and trying to find some sort of nutritional and workout advice there, do it. Take a little time, take a little money and invest it in yourself. And I say that for only one reason. How many of us blow $10 or $8 or $6 on a cup of coffee at Starbucks every morning? And what does that cup of coffee do to your health? And I'll leave it at that. Well, there you go, man. So one of the things that I end every episode with is, is a set of questions I call the Fat Guy Five. It's the same five questions I ask everyone. We're actually coming up on, we, we just crested 50 episodes. So I, I'm, thinking of starting to move into, I'm thinking of starting to move into like a second season. But so you, you actually may be the last person to answer this Fat Guy Five. So, you know, you gotta, we're going to make this one count for you, man. So it's five questions. First answer that comes into your head, let, let's get into it. So first question that I ask everyone, John, is living or dead, tell us who is your favorite fat guy? My favorite fat guy, John Candy. I, I think for, the, for the, the entire number of episodes I've been doing these questions, I either get Chris Farley and then some people give me John Candy, and John Candy is the answer that I always want to get. So I, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you I'm glad yeah. that you picked. I, and picked it him. was more more so um, John Candy. It was more so about his mindset and what he mm. did off screen that that I admired about him. So right, that, that's my answer for that one. I also think it's because you and I are similar in age. So you know, yes, yeah. There's there's a few years between us, <laughs> we but know not we'll, many. We know a little bit more about him than I think some other people might, but yes, so question, yes. question number two, John, thinking back to when you were back in your, your 400 pound, your gluttonous days, as you described them, what was your quintessential fat guy meal? My quintessential fat guy meal was what I ate every day for lunch, which was I, I, I worked the mechanic shop. I worked at had a pizza place right next door. So I knew when I was getting ready to have my lunch, so I would call. They would make me a large pizza with pepperoni, sausage, mushrooms, black olives. And while they were making the pizza, I would hop in my truck and I'd drive to McDonald's and I'd get a Big Mac, two orders of fries, and a large vanilla milkshake. I'd come back from McDonald's, and McDonald's was only like three blocks from where I worked. I'd come back from McDonald's, I'd pull through the drive through of the pizza place, I'd grab my pizza, I'd park my truck back in the parking lot, sit there and eat it, go into a carb coma for about 15 or 20 minutes and then go on back to work. But that was, that was my favorite meal. It was just the pizza and, and, and everything just all combined. There we go. There we go. Question number three. And I think you started to talk about this a little bit and you, you've kind of nailed it. So, but I do want to get your opinion on, so say there is someone out there, there, John, that either is the gourmet before the John before, you know, still out there, hasn't gotten their journey started yet. What is your number one tip to them to get started? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because 
what where you're headed if you stay if you stay on the path that you're on where you're headed is much more fearful fearful than anything that you will have to do to improve your life don't be afraid love it question number four what podcast youtube channel book resource influencer person do you recommend to someone out there who's looking for motivation uh, motivation as far as in the, the fitness space, any, any, any space, take, take the word motivation, any type you of want space. to define it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, it's a toss up between Tim Ferriss and Aubrey Marcus. Um, Aubrey, Aubrey Marcus has a unique approach to health and fitness that I find absolutely fascinating. A lot of the research that his company on it does. Um, you know, it is showing, you know, is leading to other resources, showing a lot of promise in a lot of different areas that uh, I'm really enjoying keeping my eye on. And Tim Ferriss is just amazing. He can, he can biohack anything. He can hack his body oh, yeah. to do all kinds of different stuff. So those are the, it's a toss up between those two, but they're both really inspirational for me. There you go, man. And question number five, tell us. What is one goal you have for the next year that is not health or fitness related? That is hot, not health or fitness related. Um, I want, well, see, it's kind of, kind of hard because I like right now I'm working on three different businesses and every one of them is in the health and fitness space in one way or another. So it's kind of tough, but at the end of the day, um, I want to build my businesses to the point where I can have the kind of life that I want to have with my wife, with my kids and my grandkids. My wife is 13 years younger than me. Um, she was active duty army. She is now still in the guard. So, you know, she lives in, she lives in existence that she could get a phone call one day and she could go away and I may never see her again. Um, you know, because of the, the, because of the span between our ages, you know, anything and my family history, anything could happen to me, even though I'm healthy. Um, so I think about these things and I, my last job, I worked 80 hours a week and I never saw my wife and I never saw my kids. Um, and when I did get a day off, I spent most of that day sleeping. I don't want to live like that anymore. So I want to build a life for myself where I can spend as much time as possible with the ones that I love. I love it, man. And I, I think hearing your story tonight, I, I have no doubt that this is another goal that you're just going to, you're going to smash right through and find it, find another one to tackle after that. So I, I think you're definitely on that path to build those things. Thank and you. that's, that's really, that's really awesome to hear, man. So John, we've let people know how to find you and we've, we've kind of taken them through your journey tonight and I'm going to make sure to put links to, all the different resources that you mentioned in the show notes for this episode so that people can track you down all over the place. You know, there's the, you know, the show notes for the episode might be longer than this episode itself, but we'll make sure <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure we get all of that out there to everyone so that they can, they can find okay. you, man. I just really want That's to say awesome. a big thank you, John, for, for coming on and, and, and talking to us tonight. And really, my pleasure. I, I appreciate the dive we took into, because I think, there's there's a side to to type two diabetes and talking about it that you know we don't always get to, and and so I appreciate us being able to go there tonight and getting to explore that that in a way that you know 
I don't think everyone listening has, has might have heard before on this show. So thank you so much, man. And you're quite welcome. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. And thanks for thanks for coming on. And to everyone out there listening, thank you once again for joining us on the Fat Guy Forum. I want to go out there and remind I want I want to go out there. No, I want to remind you to go out there because I'm already in for the night. But I want to remind you to go out there today, whatever day it is you're listening to this, and do something to amaze yourself because you, my friends, are amazing people. We will catch you again very soon on the Fat Guy Forum.